a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking about, uh, well, a huge tragedy that's happened in the world. We're not going to focus specifically on Christchurch, but obviously it's made headlines the last few weeks, an extraordinarily horrible tragedy, Keith, and one, in fact, that we, in a way, warned about a couple of weeks ago, and that is the rise of right-wing extremism. So there was a shooter that shot and killed 50 people in Christchurch, devastating, devastated the country, devastated the world, really, because it's the kind of thing that could happen in quite a few countries. We're seeing this kind of extremism. Let's talk about it. Yep. Well, what we argued a few weeks ago is that particularly in the United States, but applying to other countries, the focus has been very much on Islamic terrorism. And yet the figures that are now being produced is that in the United States, three quarters of domestic terrorism comes from white extremists, often with a Christian point of view, three quarters. And yet the American security apparatus is focused on a handful of Muslims. And they are not the major providers of terrorism within the United States. The real problem are the white extremists. Now, FBI created a unit to investigate the rise of white extremism a few years ago, and the Republicans in Congress closed down that inquiry because their fear was that it might end up revealing that some of those white extremists actually support the Republican Party. So the Americans were caught unprepared therefore, for some of the mass violations of extremism that we have seen in the United States. You know, the Charlottesville massacre, there's also a person who was on uh, the Coast Guard, working for the Coast Guard, and he uh, had plotted to kill every Democratic politician and members of the media. So he had a hit list. Luckily, he was prevented from doing that. So... The Americans have been taken by surprise, but I think, and, and the media have been as well. So they're focusing very much on Islamic terrorism. And so there is in the public mind always this attitude, if it's terrorism, it must be inspired by Muslims. But in fact, as I say, in the United States, three quarters of the terrorist incidents, which are homegrown, come from within the white community, not the Islamic community. So what's feeding this perception? I think it began originally with um, obviously 9-11. Al-Qaeda had declared war on the the United States 20 years ago, so before 9-11, but it was very much low-key. And the person who was in charge of combating Al-Qaeda and uh, bin Laden, uh, so that was the time of Clinton, and then Bush came into power and he briefed Bush on the problem with bin Laden and Bush said, no, bin Laden's not a problem. The problem is, is Iraq. So this FBI guy resigned and became head of security in the World Trade Tower and was last seen alive on 9-11-2001. It's an incredible story with this uh, FBI fellow. So the Americans were very much focused on Islamic terrorism, either from bin Laden or allegedly from Saddam Hussein. My own view is that Saddam Hussein was a very brutal person, but he had a monopoly over terrorism in his own country. He wasn't going to allow al-Qaeda to be established in Iraq because he was going to do terrorism. He wasn't going to let these freeloaders come in and do it for themselves. So the Americans were very much sensitive to assuming that terrorism must emanate solely from the Islamic world. And certainly, if you're in the Middle East at the moment, 
Most of the people who are killing Muslims are fellow Muslims. However, in the case of the United States, they had the, the terrorist incident on 9-11 which in 2001. But since then, there have been very few Islamic acts of violence within the United States. Okay, the, the Muslims are killing Americans when they're deployed in Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan, but they are not killing them within the United States. But surely then, going back to what causes this sort of narrative in the minds of a lot of Americans, would be the decades now of wars within the Middle East as well and the imagery of of the American fighters in those Muslim countries. Absolutely. And the politicians who like to exploit the fear of Muslims. Donald Trump is the ideal example of that, uh, including even talking about Muslims trying to get into the United States across the southern border. I don't think there are too many Muslims at the moment in Central America trying to get into the United States over that border. So, But it's interesting that it plays into the rhetoric that if you're Muslim, you must be a terrorist. And if you are a Muslim, and well, for a start, if, if you come from certain countries now, you just won't be allowed into the US. You're now being excluded. It's subject to all sorts of legal challenges. But if you are in the US as a Muslim, then you are subject to all sorts of harassment. So politicians know how to play to the crowd and that is the crowd to which they want to play. In other words, stoking up fear of Muslims. And so that's why they have neglected these attacks from right-wing Christian groups or or sometimes right-wing atheist groups, but certainly always right-wing white people, usually white men, they are the ones who are the real terrorist threat. And we've seen that tragically in New Zealand as well. And we're also seeing that, well, let's go back and have a look at some of the attacks in America. So we had that one in the church down south. Yes, we've had various attacks down there. And of course, one of the great achievements of the Americans is they took on the Ku Klux Klan in the 60s and 70s. And then they sort of assumed that it had died down, whereas it has simply gone underground. So you, you have obviously the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, which goes all the way back to the end of the the American Civil War, which finished in 1865. You've also got various militia groups as well. Their slogan is, I love my country, but I'm scared of my government, therefore I've got to have a gun to defend myself. How many militia groups would there be? Impossible to say. But the same sort of sentiment as the Ku Klux Klan? Um, or just Broadly, yeah, but they don't dress up in bed sheets. But so, yes. And it's more xenophobic, more broadly as more opposed to... More xenophobic, uh, certainly... Um, a fear of, of Washington. So these are people who are mainly based in the mountain states in the Midwest and, of course, down south. So suspicious of, uh, of Washington, D.C. Remember you had the Oklahoma City bombing that was, uh, what, 20-odd years ago now, and McVeigh, who had um, been trained in the military, he was the one who blew up that government centre. Now, we knew there was going to be a problem on that day because the talk was the militia groups were going to march on Washington, D.C., because it was the anniversary of a previous FBI attack on uh, Waco, Texas, and that tragedy with the religious extremists in Waco, Texas. So on the year after the anniversary, we then were expecting some sort of violence in Washington from militia groups, but instead it occurred uh, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Uh, where Timothy McVeigh blew up that government building. He piled a lot of explosives into a van and parked it outside of that government building. And, of course, he's since been executed. So 
we have had these attacks. But but what I find intriguing is that in the United States, if you're in court and you raise your fist and say Allah Akbar, you're deemed to be obviously an Islamic fanatic. However, if you give the Nazi salute, which is what some people do, then you get described in the media as being psychologically unbalanced. And it's very interesting how you've got a different narrative that if you are a white terrorist, it's put down to your having a mental health issue. There's been a lot of argument about that particular term and there's been a lot of media attention on it because white extremists haven't been called out for being terrorists. Yeah. Isn't the tide changing on that? I feel like the first thing that Jacinda Ardern did in this attack in Christchurch was deem it as terrorist act. Yep. Um, which is sensible uh, and accurate in terms of the definition. But does it feel like that sort of sentiment is being felt around the world as well? Well, I would hope so. You know, I was taking part in a TV program late on Friday nights. It's a few hours after the tragedy took place. And the people who were quite notorious for their extremist views had toned them down considerably. Except Um, for Fraser Anning. Except for Fraser Anning, the politician. So he continued with an extremist point of view. And, of course, it's been supported, and that's the risk that we run. You know, what we were arguing a few weeks ago when we decided about white terrorism is you have to take white terrorism seriously. These are not people you just dismiss as saying, oh, they're psychologically unbalanced. There is a clear motivation for their point of view. I was, uh, with all the broadcasting I was doing on the day of the tragedy and then the following day, I actually got to read the manifesto of the terrorist. And it makes very interesting reading. Now, okay, it's garbled a bit, but he goes through quite logically, almost as though he's being interviewed, about why he's behaving in the way that he is. Um, Justifying it. Justifying it, absolutely. Um, And I heard he did use the Ku Klux Klan manifesto for some of it. uh, Not too much of it, no. No, it was Anders Breivik. You see, Anders Breivik Uh, from Norway. That shot. Yes, shot all those people in Norway. That's your white terrorist. But I remember broadcasting on Channel 7 Sunrise or Weekend Sunrise. You know, the immediate assumption was, well, this must be some sort of an Islamic attack. And then the news came in that it was actually a white terrorist. So our default position was it must be an Islamic terrorist. And then, of course, you, you move to another position, which is that it's white terrorism. So I think that given the tragedy in New Zealand, we are seeing a slight change now in the narrative in the sense that people are beginning to recognise that there is a problem with white terrorism. They still don't recognise the extent of it, but there is a recognition that that is a problem. And Republicans in Congress are just going to have to accept the fact that FBI need to investigate what is going on with that. As I say, FBI did quite a reasonable job, not as good as it's made out in the Hollywood movies, but they did a job in shutting down the Ku Klux Klan in the South half a century ago. So it is interesting that we're reaching a situation now where people are beginning to realise, yes, white terrorism is a problem. And perhaps for some of Western societies, it's a bigger problem than Islamic terrorism. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking today about the rise of white extremism. We did talk about it in an episode a few weeks ago, but it's obviously more poignant now because of what has happened in Christchurch. And we're talking about it because it's not just, obviously, New Zealand we've seen it in, which is, oh, God, just such a tragedy, Keith. But it's happened in America. It's happened for decades now in America, these sorts of attacks. But yet the onus is still on 
well, not the onus, but the the emphasis is still on Muslim terrorist yeah. attacks, whilst the white supremacist type of attacks are labelled something else. They're unhinged as opposed to being extremist or terrorist, but we feel like that's changing perhaps. Um, but, Keith, you're also seeing the rise of right-wing leaders around the world. Yeah. So how are we going to stem the tide when it comes to white extremism when we've got very right-wing people in power? Well, like Donald Trump, for example, who stoked the flames of hatred, and also now you've got the new Brazilian president who just takes it to Bolsonaro. another... Bolsonaro, yeah. In, in degree. <laughs> yeah, and this is... Um, in fairness to Trump and Bolsonaro, um, it is a different issue. Um, you know, Trump is not actually encouraging people to go out and kill Muslims. He's very anti-Islamic and receives a favourable mention in the manifesto of the New Zealand terrorist, I might say. But, you know, it, it's not the same sort of category as you would have with some of the extremists that you've now got who actually commit the acts of violence. But we are living through a period of right-wing populism, which is why we were looking at this topic weeks ago, because clearly you've got a sizable population in many societies that are resenting globalisation, resenting multiculturalism, are getting tired of political correctness, and this is all a reaction against those trends. And that's why I say it's an issue to be addressed. I don't think it's one easy answer. It's no good just trying to say, oh, well, you should all um, be more reasonable, be better educated. You know, the re- the a- always I keep getting the, the response, well, what we need is more education for these people, to which I reply by saying, look, in the 1930s, the best educated population in Europe, if not the world, was Germany. And yet look what it did in World War II with the Holocaust. So there's no obvious link between a high level of education and a high level of ethical behaviour. So by all means have education. I've been an educationalist for half a century, but I also recognise the limitations of education. Um, and so this is a big challenge. I've got no easy answers for you on this one, I'm afraid. No easy answers for how you combat this rise of populism. All I'm saying is that we need to investigate why people feel threatened. Why are they being attracted to these extremist leaders? What are their underlying concerns? Clearly, if you look at globalisation, it has not worked out well for everyone. Just look around here, the streets of Sydney. Australia is the wonder down under. 28 years of consecutive economic growth, the longest period of economic growth since 1750 in the Western world. The Economist magazine, as I say, calls us the, the wonder down under. And yet look at the amount of poverty that you can see from this window. You've got homeless people. You've got people who are begging. Now, of course, it, it perhaps it's a less of a problem than what you might see on parts of the United States or London. But nonetheless, even in a country like Australia today, with so much wealth, we still have so many social problems. And so there are a lot of people who feel as though they have lost out in globalisation, in the free movement of capital around the world, etc. And, of course, this process is going to continue because one of the issues that we look at in this series always is the impact of automation, artificial intelligence, robots, etc. And so whether or not we're going to get some humans, it'll simply be surplus requirements. If you're well-educated, maybe you can get a job in the new world of work. But there are going to be a lot of people who are not going to be enjoying that new world of work. And that will only add to the anger which puts people like Trump in the American White House or Bolsonaro 
to become president of Brazil. And I was going to say that, of course, in Europe as well, if you get those high unemployment rates, and that also drives that intolerance because you've got this huge population of people that are native to those countries who don't have jobs. Who don't have a job. And who do they blame? It's very interesting to look at Albert Speer, who was uh, one of the talented people around Hitler in the uh, late 30s through until 1945. Albert Speer admitted his error at Nuremberg, saved himself from execution, spent many years in prison, and then uh, before he died, wrote his memoirs. And he said, look, I'm an architect. I had no political views, but I was unemployed. Hitler came along promising jobs. And of course, for a few years, Germany was blossoming. You know, Hitler was building Volkswagen, the people's car, putting in autobahns. The economy was booming. And so that's why people like Albert Speer were attracted to Hitler because he could promise them jobs. And that's the, the, the issue that I keep coming back to, that a lot of people have no real interest in, in politics, but they do have an interest in their own well-being and money and jobs. And that's why we need politicians to pay attention to those issues. Now, Trump, of course, has promised his own um, people in the United States there'll be more jobs and jobs will be returning from overseas. He's not honouring that promise at all. Uh, but nonetheless, it resonated with a lot of traditional blue-collar areas in the United States that usually voted Democrat but left the Democrat Party because they thought it was dominated by rich financiers and they therefore supported Trump in that remarkable election victory that President Trump scored in 2016. And if we're not careful, if we don't deal with these underlying issues, we're going to end up with more Trump-like figures coming to the fore in politics. I think it's probably a good way to end there right there, Keith. Thank you. Let's scare the hell out of people, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.